0: How do you get people to spend $3000 online for a sofa that they've never couch surfed? Hello and welcome to Retention Masterclass. My name is John Gutierrez. Today we're talking about personalization and customer retention.
1: And I'm Ann Ansel one of your hosts here on the show, one of your co-hosts here. And we're chatting with Chief Marketing Officer of a modern furniture company that supplies, I have to say, John, to die for furniture, right? For Google, for Facebook, for Airbnb, and maybe for you out there as well, of course, if you want it. It used to be online only, then it went into some stores. And now it's probably back to online only because, you know, that is where we are now. But either way, you know, it's a company that is masterfully connecting, collecting those data metrics and what's going to feed into powerful campaigns. And that's why we have them here on the show.
0: And, you know, I mean, I'm pretty familiar, you're pretty familiar, Peggy, with user acquisition managers or growth marketing managers for maybe gaming companies or mobile-first companies, and they know their CAC, they know their LTV, they got all the data cold, all the metrics. Same thing maybe with ride-sharing companies or streaming media companies, all those that were born digital, born online, born on mobile. But a furniture company, not so much.
1: Absolutely. That's why when I saw it, I thought this is a perfect fit for our show because we have Industry West CMO. Ian Leslie. He's focused, as I said, on data, data acquisition, data driven and growth. And the numbers that he's sharing are amazing. He shares this incidentally, candidly on his blog, you know, consistently 25 to 30% growth year on year over the past years. That's amazing in this vertical for sure.
0: That is really amazing, actually. And a lot of that growth is thanks to retaining good customers, right? And a lot of that retention is thanks to personalization.
1: And that's why we have them, because it's retention, it's personalization, it's what we want. So let's get into it. Let's welcome to Retention Masterclass, Ian, Ian Leslie. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you so much. I'm blushing.
1: So I'm going to deep dive into personalization soon, because I'm just going to geek out on that a little bit with you and your amazing blog. But hey, you know, we're just back from the Memorial Day weekend, and I'm looking at all the data out there, you know, Sensor Tower, App Annie, you name it. This is the downtime. This is that magic moment when we were shopping Hopefully, what was it like for you?
2: Yeah. I mean, we saw an incredible Memorial Day weekend year over year. Uh, I did, you talk about me being pretty transparent with my data. I did share that on my Twitter account and on LinkedIn as well, (laughs) what we've seen. So year over year for Memorial Day, our website cash revenue was up 36% while our media spend was down 11%. So we saw our CPA down 58% year over year, which was incredible for us anytime particularly for a holiday weekend Uh, so we were excited about that I don't want to kill you with data right now but definitely we saw you know I do have what we were seeing in terms of for May and and year to date in terms of new customer acquisition also in terms of repeat customers where we are there we could talk about a little later but yeah I mean Memorial Day was great for us and May has been strong on the e-commerce side Uh, so we're pretty excited with the way web is performing for us
0: That's really amazing. I mean, your sales are up. Your cost of acquisition is down. We're in this crazy time, right? 2020 has been, let's say, interesting for most. I mean, it's been dangerous for a lot of people. It's destroyed a lot of plans. It's destroyed a lot of jobs. There's a lot of chaos out there in terms of where am I going with my company? We were talking just yesterday with a marketer who was saying, you know, I keep planning and my plans keep getting ripped up. Uh, What's your experience of 2020 been?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Memorial Day weekend's been great and May has been good. But I mean, I should couch that with the fact that it's been a struggle. I mean, 2020 has obviously been difficult and and we've had to make some very tough decisions. Even with the strong holiday weekend, we're going to end up behind uh, where we were May 2019. And obviously, when we're behind last year, we're obviously not going to hit the projected growth that we expected to hit this year. A friend of mine said, you know, being down 10 to 15 percent is the new flat. So I think we're maybe a little bit better than the new flat, but we're still going to be behind last year. And it's been tough and we've had some challenges. For us, we're able to pivot rather quickly as we are a bootstrapped company. You know, we are not venture backed, which kind of gets into a whole other kind of conversation. But it does enable our ability to uh, pivot quickly. And I think uh, we've been able to be successful being e-commerce first. So, whereas a lot of legacy brands in the furniture vertical are kind of scrambling with real estate being closed, uh, we just kind of got back to what we knew, which was e-commerce.
1: Mm-hmm. I won't put words in your mouth, Ian, but I would say that maybe pivoting with personalization that might be something going on here because I'm reading your numbers. You introduced it, and then you announced, you know, a 15% increase in average order value. An 8.1% increase in revenue since introducing personalized content, which is, you know, fascinating because you don't think of furniture and then think of content necessarily, but it's about the presentation. It's about the personalization. What does that mean for you?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it took me a while to get sold on personalization. I think personalization was all the rave starting, you know, maybe. Six or seven years ago, I was working in higher ed at the time and on the marketing front in lead generation, demand gen for higher ed and trying to recruit new students to the university I was working for. And And I wasn't quite sold on personalization in that regard. A few years later, and working with Industry West and seeing the opportunity. And for me, it really started with, you see often on an e-commerce site, you know, people who shop for this also shop for that, or because you looked at this, you'd also may be interested in that. And that's personalization at the most basic level, whether it's, you know, me and my favorite soccer club. And... Because I looked at this from them, I may be interested in other items for them. I think you know, that's personalization at the most basic level that I think every good e-commerce company needs to be looking at. And, and that could be anywhere on the PDPs or the homepage or the PLPs. There's tons of opportunities for that placement. But then you could look at uh, areas like your search, your on-site search and, and your partners in terms of on-site search and how you're personalizing in that respect. I mean, we have some great personalization partners that we work with. Kaivu is our search partner, Nasto is our on-site personalization mm-hmm. partner. And for us, it's not just, you know, as simple as because you looked at this, you also may like that. For us, it's also mm-hmm. to um, segment the, the trade buyer who may be uh, needing 100 stools versus the uh, consumer buyer who's looking for, you know, a dining room set, <laughs> four stools for their kitchen. So kind of being able to segment in that regard and show them different things is important. And, and that's where I think personalization is huge for us.
1: So it's huge. Is that also as in priority huge, as in this is fundamental, or is this more around just creating a better experience, or is it really at the core of what you're doing, Ian?
2: You know, it's it's at the core of what we're doing to, to our ability to do it. So like I said, we're not venture backed, we're bootstrapped. You know, we we have a very startup mentality, very startup staff, and and I need to utilize services and platforms that are what I like to say are very like, wash and wearable. So um, Nosto is, is a bit of a plug and play personalization partner. So, I mean, it's always there, it's always underlying, it's always operating. Uh, our ability to kind of continue to leverage it is, is important for us and expand on it. So I'd say like, it's it's always something we're thinking about. It's always there. It's always, it's always working. How we iterate on it, I say, is probably something we don't do quite as often as I would like. But I mean, it's definitely something we're trying to iterate on every three or four months for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. One of the things that I was wondering about is what have you seen of the impact of personalization on retention? How does it fit with your customer journey? And I spent some time on your website, and I love your furniture, by the way. <laughs> Amazing stuff. I want some. I don't know if it ships Me to Canada, too. but, you know, we'll have to check John, that I've, out. I
1: have already asked him in prep for this. doesn't ship to Europe.
0: No? <laughs> no. Oh, man. Oh, it sucks work work on that, Ian. <laughs> but, I do think it ships to Canada, but I need a broker. It sounds complicated. And anyways, it's gorgeous stuff. But the impact of personalization on retention, right? Your customer journey has got to be interesting. And I speak as somebody who, like probably most of the rest of the world has been spending more time buying stuff online over the past few months. Right. And, and the first time experience, the second visit, your first purchaser, your registered user, there's differences there and differences of personalization that you can give, but also differences in experience. Can you walk us through that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're really just kind of starting to, to, broach the tip of the iceberg in that regard. I mean, for us, it's really, we're really looking at that. In terms of a a anonymous user to a second time user experience, we're kind of looking at what you browsed um, and trying to push that first and foremost, also potentially offering codes based on that. So if it's, you know, say you're looking at lighting and you've never purchased lighting before, you may see a lighting specific promo code where we're trying to entice you. Additionally, like I said, kind of our big thing is looking at the trade. So if we're able to identify that you're a trade user versus a residential user, whether that being via a login or via how you've purchased in the past, having purchased with a trade account, we will present to you what we're calling quick ship items, even though everything for us ships rather quickly, but really what it is, is items we have in high inventory, high stock volume and that we can put before you and say, okay, we know you're a trade buyer. We know you may need something in bulk. Here are the options you should be looking at. So I mean, I think it's really um, trying to broach that, really using it and trying to use the experience in terms of the consumer side versus the trade side. You know, we do see in terms of the the retention, I mean, we do see AOV does increase by something like 70% from that first to second purchase. And then 30% from second to third purchase. So, of course, we're trying to, I mean, on on the email side, you know, I think like when you deal with your display advertising, your social advertising, your your email drip campaigns, I mean, that personalization in terms of the flow there is it, pretty easy, right? Like, you know, your abandoned cart, your re-engagement after 90 days, uh, all that is is pretty boilerplate stuff. I mean, I think to your point, the personalization on the website side is is a little bit more difficult. It's even more difficult for us because about 40% of our customer base is actually transacting online. Whereas because furniture is a bit of an old school vertical, the remaining kind of trade focus is still uh, transacting through our reps via email or over the phone. Uh, So it's harder to kind of segment them and, and pull that data out of the CRM, which is all things we're working on. And I think, you know, That experience, specifically on the advertising side, as we're able to churn out segments based on when was the last time they purchased, what did they purchase, what's on their quote, and how do we show them different uh, iterations of the site or different display ads based on that is really what we're looking toward next.
1: I just want to be clear about that number. Did I hear 70,
2: Ian? From first to second, yes.
1: That's astounding. that's huge. Well,
2: as you see, a lot of what it is is our trade clients will will buy a sample often. Okay. And unbeknownst to us, that they will come in, they'll buy one chair, they'll show it to their client. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll like it and they'll come back online and buy 20 of them. <laughs> yeah. So if we can get that trade client to return, it's really important for us.
1: Yeah. And that's also important with the segmentation, but, you know, it's also about the funnel and maybe it's that point here precisely that it's not so much a funnel as it is some sort of loop that you're building because it's a high consideration purchase and Um, you're engaging with me. What are you doing to nudge, to move me through?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we generally see it as a 90 day consideration on Mm is, is what we look at. And so I think it's everything across from the emails they're receiving, the uh, retargeting and not just simply hitting them over the head with the same product over and over and over, but retargeting them with even UGC content where it's you know reviews that we've received or blog content just to connect with the buyer a little bit more, just trying to be creative with the content we have and showing them more of who we are. So yeah, I mean, I think you're completely right. It's continuing to nudge them through the funnel and getting them in through that first comfort level or it's getting them comfortable with us. And then of course, we're asking for reviews after. So we're taking that feedback. And then if it's positive, we're replying. If it's negative, we're trying to fix it. So it's a constant conversation for sure.
1: So I want to understand a little bit about those triggers there, because, yes, it is high consideration, but you're saying, you know, depending on what I'm doing, you're segmenting me, you're putting me into different buckets, you're messaging me probably differently. I'd like to understand how you architect that, because you can't obviously have a different journey for every customer, right? But you do have to have sort of overall pathways that you're thinking about, which are also very fluent, you know, fluid in these times as well. Sure. Sorry. I'm just gonna ask what that <laughs> was. I was like, well, "There's uh, got to be something like, here." Okay. We
0: should mention that Ian is sheltering in place or visiting yeah. in uh, Florida, so uh, those might not be his diplomas on the back of the wall there. But
1: <laughs>
0: this is
2: my father's office. Uh, visiting, got it. Place, sheltering, yes. But yeah, I mean, um, it's funny. You know, we talked before this, and we talked about you know some of the uh, best practice in terms of how many segments to set up. I mean, I, I am a believer if you can create infinite segments of one, that is the ultimate goal, right? Um, I mean, you want to get as granular as possible, but of course that's, that's impossible. So, I mean, I think we utilize the tools we have, like, you know, we were able to build uh, tons of segments on via Nasto to personalize, you know, what categories they're looking at, if they hit the checkout page, how much in their cart, you know, all those sorts of things. And then we could put those into different work for or different com flows via our email partner. I'd say, you know, and of course we have com flows for when you create a trade account, when you create pop, when you submit your email via the modal, when you create a consumer side account. So, I mean, I think we actually probably do have more com flows than the average e-commerce site. But even with that, we're probably woefully short in that regard because, you know, it's, it is, it's difficult okay. to uh, create com flows for everybody and you can't have infinite funnels. Everybody uh, wants that. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Infinite uh, segments of one. It's difficult to achieve. It is difficult
0: to achieve. uh, Go ahead, Peggy.
1: I had one more question because we're in here to the who of the audience and the triggers, you know, and the data will give us the who. Right. The data will also give us the when and the where. So we're pretty good on that. But also that what is so important, because if it's something that really engages me, really appeals to me, is contextually relevant. Then I will respond. So recommendations in the scheme of things, what role do they play or how are you approaching the recommendations?
2: Recommendations are huge. Um, Uh I think, um, we see, um, conversion rates go infinitely higher, when they engage with a recommendation. Now what's interesting is AOV actually is a little lower. So that's something we're constantly trying to nudge is how are we showing products that will convert, but will help raise AOV. But yeah, I mean, our, our recommendation partner, which is also a personalization partner Nosto. Nosto, I when mean, we look at those metrics constantly and we see consistent lift with, someone who is engaging with a recommendation. I mean, I think the, the, what is critical of course, and that's, I mean, that's the key to personalization is showing the correct what, of course. But I also think, you know, you talked about the who and data pres- or the where rather, data presenting us with the where. Mm-hmm. But I think for us not selling T-shirts, it makes no sense to kind of go nationwide um, because we're we're not as likely to sell in critical mass to Poughkeepsie as we are to Manhattan. Okay. So yeah. I, mean, I think it's important for us with relatively limited means in our media spend to really focus on where the, the proper geo. So I mean that's a part of what we do as well and even personalizing our ads to an extent per that geo especially you know having the brick and mortar in Soho and trying to drive people to to the location so, I mean, but we, we hyper-focus our ad spend and, and even some promotional, you know, some of the personalization side and promotions around design events or furniture events or different events in, in the major metros in the country to try to drive business. Because I mean, a, a overwhelming majority of our sales do come from those major metros.
0: Let's dig into that a little bit because you said a little earlier that, especially over the past weekend... Your cost of customer acquisition went way down. I, I think you mentioned 38%. I could be wrong on that particular stat, but 58. It went, yeah, 58. Say again? 58%. 58%. Wow. Your sales went up and your cost of acquisition uh, went down. Yeah. I mean, you've got a high end product. Typically, that's linked to a high cost of customer acquisition. Is that, I guess, part A is, is that generally true for you? But part B is, what do you attribute the reduction recently to?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to our media partner. So we work with a great media partner out of Boston called Gupta Media, and I think they've done an amazing job for us. I mean, just in terms of continually trying to optimize you know, our campaigns, whether it's across uh, social or display retargeting or, or Google. And I think what's interesting is, and I don't know how many others you talk to really kind of communicate this, but we've divested from Google immensely over the past year. And our spend is overwhelmingly on the social channels, some display, third-party display, then display retargeting, some display retargeting platforms, and then working with some third-party partners, you know, within the design industry. But I mean, I think a lot of it goes to our media partner. A lot of it goes to, I think, um, how we're continuously, you know, I think the product mix. I do think we are in a time where people are... You know, I saw on Twitter, uh, someone said to me actually just this morning that he's found his budget in terms of what he's spending monthly hasn't changed. It's just what he's spending it on. So um, he's not spending it to go out to eat or, you know, kind of go see a live event. You know he may be spending it on buying a new lounge chair. So I think we are striking a chord in terms of the home space. And, and we're in a time where people are trying to update there at home and we're definitely seeing an uptick on the consumer side for us. What we're not seeing is um, an uptick on the trade mm. side uh, and hopefully that will mm. come up. But yeah, I mean so
0: and that uh, makes tons of sense, right? Because those showrooms have been closed or they're reduced in capacity right Mm -hmm. and people are spending more time home so they want to improve that home environment Mm -hmm. that makes a ton of sense i have to ask this question and i I hope it's at the right time here because i looked at your site as i mentioned twice now sorry and Mm -hmm. there's something that i i I would love to buy and and Mm -hmm. i would jump at that because i i take risks my wife is not a risk risk taker And, and she would say, you know what, I want to see it. I want to touch it. I want to sit in it. I want to lay in it. I want to feel it before I order that $3,000 sofa. Talk to me about how you overcome that barrier to sales.
2: Yeah, I mean I don't I don't think it's easy. I think it takes a special type of shopper for sure uh, to take that risk. We try to connect with the buyer as much as we can whether it's over email or phone or chat to reassure them to be a voice behind the product. So I think we fill a niche that Amazon can never fill in terms of um, selling this level, our quality of a a furniture product where Amazon will never have the personalization. by, By personalization, I mean actual people who will be able to support having the conversation. I think it's very important to have a real conversation. I mean, in terms of logistically and brass tacks, I mean, we do offer a pretty robust swatch program. We do offer so, and that includes like a lot of our, a lot of our leather, a lot of our fabrics, and then just you know the color swatches. We do offer you know samples at a discount if you do need you know if you're looking for six chairs for your dining room, you want to buy the first one as a sample. We'll give a good discount, and then continue the discount through the full order. But I mean, I, I think it's difficult, which was why we were looking at showrooms, you know, which is why we opened Soho, and then why we were pre-pandemic we were looking at California. Because we had critical mass of people there who would email in or chat in or call in and say, hey, I'm about to open a restaurant and I'm interested in this bar stool, but I want to sit in it. Or we had someone on the 18th floor of a Manhattan condo who said, hey, I love this sofa, but I want to sit in it. But not for nothing, we have 4,500 SKUs and we don't keep 4,500 SKUs in the 1,800 square foot showroom. So there's going to be... Um, always going to be stuff that people can't uh, feel and touch. I mean, I think what goes a long way for us is our product photography. Um, we do all our photography in-house and always have. And it's uh, just such a high priority for us. And I think plays huge into uh, the comfort level of people have with the product because it's, it's just product on white. And uh, we just want to show it to you. It's, it's, they're going to show it to you from a dozen different angles and really kind of try to gain your trust and the comfort level via that. But, you know, there's a lot of people, it's, it's a big step. It's a big step. And at the end of the day, we have a very small market share still, and people don't know us from Godot, and I think it's a a big part to gain people's trust for sure.
1: So that's exactly it. And that's why I want to pick up on another point you made Ian. I mean, divesting from Google, that is something that not a lot of companies would do or risk doing um, now. And you're saying, well, we're not well-known, but you know, you do have a presence. There is a, there is something about you and we'll get to brand a little bit later, you know, but first of all, that's quite a decision. I'd love to know what led up to it, but I'd also like to understand, you know, then how do you engage and re-engage because you're doing it over social. I would assume you have to weave some CRM in there to get it right, to get me again, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that part of the equation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we just weren't seeing the returns, particularly on display. And I think it really that was it was that just display wasn't generating the returns for us. Whereas Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and then, you know, we use Critio for our retargeting. It was. And of course, you know, retargeting on social. I mean, we are seeing those returns. I mean, we, we do a fair amount of branded search still on Google. But in terms of having, I think for us, it's like, is, really their value to competing with the big boys, like Restoration Hardware or wave, like whether it's above us or below us in terms of price point, in terms of, you know, bidding on office chairs or bidding on living room furniture or bidding on whatever it is. And we just weren't seeing that. And then particularly, I think, you know, what we went through with the pandemic and which drove CPMs to an all time low and just trying to uh, really get such a, a larger audience share on social media spend was huge. So, I mean, I think then to your point in terms of how are we we re-engaging, I mean, I think, yes, CRM to deliver lists into social and to kind of whether we're targeting as a trade customer, as we're targeting either consumer side, abandoned cart side, or it's just an intro, like they gave us their email via the modal, um, definitely driving that to our, our digital media partners who are, are segmenting based on that. And then also just top of funnel, bottom funnel, you know, at the most basic level, level of not even abandoned cart, but just prospecting versus, you know, return visitors and that side. Yeah, I mean I think I think Google's Google's interesting. And I think Google's I think we've all been thrown for a loop also as they've opened up the product listings, you know, for free. And so I think it's an interesting time in terms of Google. And I, I think if you're not, we're at a time where if you're not interested in video either, I, your Google's not as willing to work with you. I think they're really yeah. putting video as a product. And, and I just don't know that YouTube is the right channel for us. I have not been sold on that yet. So I mean, we we are looking at over the top and, and putting pieces together for that which of course we could reutilize, you know, on YouTube, pre-roll sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time. Mm-hmm.
0: It's I mean, super interesting that you mentioned YouTube because I was going to jump all over that. And and there's a reason <laughs> for this because, hey, guess what? My gym's closed. And so I've been buying gym equipment, little okay. bits and pieces here or there. And there's some pieces and I go to this retailer who is clearly a bricks and mortar retailer, but you know, okay, fine, we got a website. Yeah, you can order off of it. And I can see like the standard given by the manufacturer description there. Mm -hmm. And you know, for this piece of equipment, I actually want a video. I want to see how it works. I want to see how it functions. I want to see its relative size compared to an actual person or a room, other things like that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I'm wrong and you will know what's better for your business than I will, obviously. But when i was browsing your site i wanted to see some video i wanted to see some video of somebody Mm -hmm. in 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 a chair or in a sofa i wanted to see some video around it and other things like that and so i thought hey that might be an interesting thing so again you yeah no no
2: no, no. and i i don't think that's wrong i think i guess you know i could we could segment video two ways in terms of you know on-site content which i think yes in a perfect world I, i would love every piece to have a 360 kind of, you know, panoramic yeah. of the of the piece and then the piece in context in an apartment in Toronto. You know, showing the sofa in context in Toronto. <laughs> but it kind of goes back to priorities and as a bootstrap company and what you can really do. I mean, I was thinking video more in terms of, you know, people looking at Saturdays, catching up on Saturdays SNL skits on YouTube are they really going to care to see the 30-second commercial from me ahead of that skit? I
0: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. That's exactly the way way I was thinking of it. Yeah,
2: but in terms of content, I mean, I think, of course, like more content, the the better. And I I completely agree. And we're looking at different ways to kind of continue to – supplement the content online but yeah i think I, I don't i don't disagree at all
0: yeah excellent excellent i always love it when somebody says they don't disagree <laughs> i think it means that they agree with me but i'm not 100 certain <laughs> i'm just bugging next week oh. you're going
1: to see videos on his website yeah, you know, exactly. just, just <laughs> a couple a couple pieces that one couch he wants right <laughs> and
0: then invoices in the mail. invoices in the mail so <laughs> you mentioned coronavirus you mentioned i guess a few minutes ago now and you mentioned. That it's caused some changes in your sales velocity, your cycle. We've been doing a new rules of marketing engagement series, uh, Peggy and I, with a client, uh, Clever Tap, which also sponsors this podcast, by the way. And We've been talking to marketers all over the world about what's changed, what's changing their messaging, what's changing their business model, where they're pivoting into. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you've adapted your marketing, your messaging, your retention strategy, those sorts of things?
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think to your point just a, a second ago, I mean, not video per se, but we are looking at how do we connect with the homeowner more as opposed to uh, showing it in um, a commercial setting. So, I mean, trade really has been our bread and butter. We're probably about 70% trade in terms of our sales. And and whereas e-com will keep the lights open and keep us in business, it's trade that's going to make us profitable at the end of the month. So, I mean, I think we've really focused on trade products and focused on talking to the trade and focused on the trade's needs. And what we've seen with coronavirus is the trade obviously hasn't been able to buy uh, who knows when people are going to go back into their offices, if they even are going to suddenly to the trade takes on a new tone and a new angle because a trade is now working at home. And then we have consumer side that seems to still be willing to spend shockingly. Like I have to be honest, like in, in the throes of the unemployment numbers, you know, first coming out a month ago, I was shocked to see that weekends were still going well. So, I mean, I think um, the work from home aspect and and trying mm-hmm. to fit more on that, trying to show more outside scenes to the extent of our ability, trying to show, creating a narrative a bit more on how to change your space, trying to just talk more to the consumer side. And then also when people are buying, I think we have seen people home from work, distracted uh, or home from the office rather, distracted by whatever it may be, you know maybe homeschooling, maybe, you know... Who knows what? But we have definitely seen, over the past six weeks, more our ROAs late in the day to overnight, and on the weekends has definitely shifted upward. So as in the past, we were a we saw strong Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Wednesday was typically light, and Saturday, Sunday was typically average. We are now seeing you know Monday through Friday is typically just is good, it is good, but Saturday and Sunday are gangbusters. Um, and I think it's, you know, okay, I don't have to teach the kids Saturday, Sunday, homeschool is over and I have a minute to shop and, and maybe come back to the site that I saw on Tuesday. And so I think that that's been a surprise. So, I mean, I think we're shift, like our day parting has shifted a bit, but then to your question in terms of the messaging. Yeah. I mean, I think it's okay. We have to, we need more home editorial shoots. We need to make it warmer. We need to even consider on our product mix. Maybe we shouldn't be bringing in 500 stools that are intended for commercial use. So maybe looking for softer, you know, more comfortable kind of home uh, pieces.
1: That's fascinating because you're talking about the assortment matching the messaging. You've got great detail around what are the gangbuster times for shopping, for example, you know, and you put that all together and you say, okay, so if they're doing more on the weekend, then maybe that's more of a personal time. Maybe that's more of a messaging time as opposed to emails in the week. I'd just like to understand a little bit about that because you have an interesting situation as well. You're online, you're physical. Okay, we'll leave that out for the moment. You know, We're mobile first, most of us, right? So how does that all sort of come together? You have to come up with messages that bridge the gaps and and blend our downtime and our sort of our, our uptime, if you will, our non-shopping time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's difficult. It's I guess it's like, it's, it's also like who even knows when shopping times are anymore. Um, I don't
1: think they ever stop. Actually, but I'm female. So I'm ed- gonna say that.
2: <laughs> I mean, when I was when I was <laughs> when I was in higher ed, I mean, I always you know I com- I always complained like, why are we sending emails to high school students at 11:30 in the morning? Like we should be sending them at three, at three o'clock in the morning when, when they're sitting in, the, in bed, like, you know, texting their friends. So, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's I don't know that our messaging changes around that, but more our availability. So we've made sure to be, we're an East Coast company. Generally, our entire staff is East Coast, but we've made sure to staff for West Coast hours more so now than ever. We've made sure to open up, make sure we have chat reps online through the weekend, pretty much uh, for business hours through the weekend, which has been huge. I mean the chat the, the, mm-hmm. the revenue in via chat, you know as the primary first touch point has been incredible, particularly on the weekends. So I mean, I think it's it's the channels and it's yeah, just continuing to just continuing to be there for the customer to the extent that we can, just being there when they're ready to talk
0: super interesting i'm gonna ask and i do this on our new rules thing as well it's kind of the goodie bag right near the end of of a show uh, top tips right takeaways for audience if you had two top tips for audience on how to be retention experts and i'm gonna say probably in retail because that's where you are right now what would those be
2: yeah i mean i think first of all it's it's Know your customer base. So whether that's the demographic, the the geography, it's critical just to know who your customer is as the starting point. I think this way you're to be hyper-focused on who that customer is. I think there's arguments, people make arguments for for kind of a buckshot approach to display advertising and Facebook advertising, and, and I'm not for that. I think being hyper-segmented in terms of, of who your audience is is critical. And then I think just do the basics right. I mean, and I think so many e-com brands, you know, even if it's as simple as just make sure your your conversion pixels are all set up properly. Like spend the time and the money to to get your conversion pixels set up properly. If you're using a CRM, like use the data, segment the data and have a partner who you can provide those lists to who will create the proper segments, you know, whatever channel you're using. I mean, I think there's so much data that that we can't we can't even process. And that so many of the networks are processing on our behalf. But if we don't have the very basic tech functionality right on our end, they they can't do that for us. So I mean, I think just take the time and, and find, particularly working on the e com side, take the time to find partners who whether it's on your development side or on your, your media company side that are just making sure you're, you're set up to best practice. I think that goes a long way to aiding, making sure you have great transparency throughout the entire cycle.
1: I mean, that, that's great. Those are great tips. That makes me very effective. What about emotive? You know, I mean, these are beautiful pieces, right? Yeah. And we want to be thinking about messaging that you have a strong brand, you want to have a strong story, and you do, you have a lot of UGC, things are coming across to yeah. make it like that. Right. But you know, what is it that's going to enable me to be a brand fan in what you're doing in your messaging in your approach because at the end of the day it's got to be about brand love I've got to love what I see love that experience and engage
2: yeah yeah I mean I think that's it's incredibly true as well so I mean I think a lot of that goes with where you're featured a lot of it goes with the, the partners you work with we are a, not an inspirational brand, but you know a brand that people are trying to, to strive toward being part of, uh, aspirational brand rather. So I, mean, I think that's important. So showing that, showing, um, not hiding from the fact that we're a quality product, not hiding from the fact that it's a part of a lifestyle that you want to be a part of, but then I think it's important to show what's behind the brand. So to show our founder story, to show some of the people who work for us, show, you know, how, how we operate every day. I think it's going to be polished, but I don't think you have to be too polished. And I think it's something, it's something that people want to be part of. You know, I, I think the whole community aspect is a little bit overblown. I think, you know, there's a lot of venture backed companies out there who push community, community, community and don't make a dime. I think what's important is to back your product and, and just say yes to the customer. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to make everything right with the customer. And I think that's why people want to be part of us and why before I started and before I was able to take on rebuilding our email platforms and rebuilding SEM and SEO and, and display marketing, before that, we were growing because we people, word of mouth, knew that we would get the order right. And if we didn't get the order right, we would make it right. And I think that's so important to who we are as a brand and what we do.
0: I love that part about not being too polished because I often feel mm-hmm. that way. Uh, sometimes the simplest thing where you've got basically your phone and you're recording a video or a sure. just heartfelt blog post. If, if, it, if it feels too polished, it feels contrived. Uh, sure. If it's kind of raw, it feels more authentic. Sure. Yeah.
1: Absolutely more real. And I love that part about, you know, just yes to the customer yeah, you know, as it's... your customer. I'll go along with that.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure, sure.
1: Absolutely. So I think we have quite a lot here to work on. <laughs> I, Absolutely. Think
0: I think, I think, and, can. and some
1: amazing numbers and Ian, you know, shameless plug here because I found it Ian, your blog, which I hope you will continue, you started that in April. Yeah. Um, so you're new to medium. Um, And that's where I would imagine you're still being as candid as you are right now with us.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I am a medium at IR Leslie and I post a lot of numbers and and stats on my my Twitter as well, which is IR Leslie. And yeah, yeah, I I like to hear from different, you know, e-commerce marketers. And I think there's a good group out there uh, that are willing to share. I think it's silly to hide what you're doing and how you're doing it because uh, there's so many ways to see who, what everyone's tech stack is and what everyone is doing. So I think we we can all learn from each other. And I think it's an important time to be transparent and to see how we're, we're all kind of working through this together.
1: Absolutely. Ian, that's why you were such a perfect fit for us today on Retention Masterclass. Seriously, great to have you here. Thanks for joining.
2: Thank, yeah, you. thank you guys. I appreciate it. And uh, Canada for sure. And we will, we will work on Germany.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: cool. this. We have pool now. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll ship it to my house, Peggy, then I'll ship it to your house. You're on around the world a couple times in between and uh, we'll own the shipping sure. company before it comes. So,
2: <laughs> my, my boys and I are big German soccer fans. So we'll, we'll work something out. <laughs> okay.
0: It's been a real pleasure to have you on Retention Masterclass. And for everybody else who's watching or listening later on, whatever platform you're on, please like, subscribe, share, comment, all the above. If you love this podcast, hey, rate it, review it. That'd be a massive help. And
1: until next time, as always, keep well, stay safe. This is Peggy Ansultz here at Retention Masterclass.
0: And this is John here. Have a great day.